0: Oh, my God.
1: Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. It is signing day. Backs the Buckeyes are going to sign another class that finishes number two in the nation. Two of my favorite classes ever. For the 2013 class and 2017 class for the Buckeyes both finished number two in the country. I believe this is the fifth class that will finish number two in the country since Urban took over. You know, we all want the Buckeyes to win a national championship, quote-unquote, on the recruiting front. Eventually, they keep finishing as bridesmaids. I will take this. Even going back to Trestle's first real recruiting class, 2002, that class finished number two overall to Texas.
0: You know what the best part about this is, is that this is something – I think going back to the start of the urban era is, is that the difference is under Jim Trestle, you'd have like a top five class and then you'd have somewhere like 15th. Right. And then you'd have like a seventh class and then like a 10th class and then like a 15th and then like a fourth. Right. Every freaking year is top five since has came pretty much. I think one year we were technically sixth Then I'm like, okay, that seems like nitpicking to, to not like, you know, include this whole shebang and, The reality is, man, when you can stack talent upon talent, upon talent, especially in the era of the the transfer portal, this is huge for programs like Ohio State. And look, the the number one national ranking, I guess Alabama just is always going to get it no matter what. Um, What Ohio State's brought in here is an exceptional class. And you know what's funny, and this probably doesn't mean anything, but I'm just going to point it out because it's fun anyways. Uh, 2013, 2017, if you're doing patterns – That would be 2021. Yet another number two class every four years. Uh, This 2021 class pans out like the 2013 class that had all the stars in it, or the 2017 class where like half the class is a top three-round pick after this upcoming draft. So it's exceptional, and I'm so excited to get these kids on campus. It's going to be certainly the best class of Ryan Day's tenure so far, Uh, but he's always seeming like he's trying to top himself. So. Uh, this class might not even be done, too, but we'll get to that in a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not feeling good about Rajon Davis later today. I, I feel like he's headed to USC. I like that we have some drama on signing day. It feels a little old school to me, but uh, I'm not feeling good about Rajon Davis. Where are you
0: at? You know, I'm just uh, I'm glad on signing day where our signing day experience isn't the way it used to be. And this is, if anybody knows me, they know like I love me some Jim Trestle. Like, the last time I saw him, I had to restrain myself from bro-hugging him because I didn't think his wife would approve. I love me some Jim Trestle. But every signing day under Jim Trestle, it was four kids were ready to pick OSU, except none of them would, and they put the OSU hat on the table just so they could pick a different one, right? So, like, I agree. I think Race Davis is going to end up going to USC as well. Um, I'm thrilled he gave OSU as much consideration as he did, but it's hard to pull a kid from the West, West Coast whenever they have SC with any sort of competency on its side. And SC was somewhat competent this year. Uh, and I think that for whatever reason, people are feeling a little bit better about the Clay Hilton experience. But the reality is, is that, hey, if he doesn't pick OSU, they gave it a, their best possible shot in the whole pandemic world. And you know what? Signing day drama doesn't really exist a lot anymore, like you were saying, right? Uh, so if there's a little drama, you never know if we turn our way. We've been more surprised in the past. Remember when Cameron Hayward picked Ohio State, despite the fact he never visited campus and was picking between all Southern schools out of Georgia? So you never know. You just never know.
1: Speaking of that, do you miss the old days? They're not even that old, five years ago. Um, I remember talking to you. We did the show 2013 recruiting class for Vaughn Bell picked Ohio State on signing day. Would you rather have it like it used to be where it was just, you know, all in on the first Wednesday of February? Or do you like it the way it is now where you have the early signing period a little before Christmas and now what we have today?
0: Dude, I don't really like the Christmas signing period. I've never liked the Christmas signing period. I felt like you should have like an August 15th or something for like the, yes, I'm blatantly going here and I'm not changing my mind. And I think every early signature should have a clause in it that says if there is a coaching change at the head coaching position between now and the next signing day, that's null and void, right? That way that kids who commit to say a Tennessee and then their head coach, you know, gets caught with the McDonald's bags full of money, then they're not stuck in their letter of intent, right? So like, I think that's how it should be. December seems like it's almost pointless. It's like an extra month. Whoop-de-doo, kids just enrolled early at that point, right? Um, and there was always a little bit of fun. We used to talk about Urban was the spatula, right? You know, he was going into the kitchen. He was going to go pick your best player and take it, right? Like, that made it more fun to me, right? I, I, I don't like the December signing period. And it also sets off the rhythm of all these coaches, right? Like, they're working towards signing day while preparing for a bowl game in a normal year and working with bowl practices. So it's And they're supposed to be on the road. And to me, it's stacking too many important things on top of each other in most of these situations, right? Not to mention programs are more incentivized to get rid of coaches earlier so they can get replacements in earlier and disrupting seasons whenever people are in the middle of fire sale mode and so you have like in the back of the day it used to be get through the bowl games pick a new coach give him three weeks to get his class together right now it's fire him eight games into the season so you can try to pick somebody else's staff apart right after the conference championship games and give yourself a prayer to get a guy signed in the next week right I don't like the way the calendars worked out. I, 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 if you told me it was back to the original system or keep what we have, I'd go to the original system. It was more fun and it made more sense.
1: So JTT, JT Tuimolo Al, the five-star defensive tackle slash strong side defensive end, I tend to think he'll be a three-tech in college and the NFL is going to wait till probably May backs to make his decision. He's definitely not going to announce today, as everybody knows. What do you think is going to eventually happen with JTT?
0: I mean does he even sign at that point like he just enrolls at that point right like here's your scholarship papers welcome to campus young man um like 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 I, I seriously don't, don't let him intense period expire at the end of April or something
1: Terrell Pryor was like dude you're waiting a while here man you're you're kind of you're kind of stringing it out here bro
0: yeah Terrell Pryor's is like is this enough attention yet <laughs> no i mean i here's the problem i can't give jtt any heck here right None. Like, that's, a, that's not fair to the kid in a pandemic year where he hasn't made up a seal of his schools, right? And, you know, if you're one of those kids like him who's a blatant big star guy who, you know, is pretty tight vested on his recruiting, right? Um, and he's from Washington where it's not easy to just like get in a car and go visit somewhere, right? Like, if you're at Ohio State, you can get in a car over the summer and in a week period. You can drive through like the entire South or you can drive through the entire Midwest, right? If you're in, in Seattle, it's like a whole day each way just to get to any other decent school outside of Oregon, right? Like your drive to California is two days. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't drive to like, you know, Texas or, or, or wherever, right. You're just, you're, you're way out in, in the left field, relatively speaking as a recruit. So it's flights everywhere. It's expenses. It's a kid who plays basketball, who, you know, frankly was occupied playing multiple sports, which is what we always tell all these kids we wish they did. Right play all the sports, be a kid. Don't pick one sport till you have to, right? So, he hasn't had a chance to see all of his schools. He hasn't had a chance to really collect all of his data. He's waiting this long because he wants to get through all of his high school stuff and then make the best decision for himself. I think he heavily thinks it's going to be Ohio State, but he's in the catbird seat of being the number one recruit who everybody wants and everybody will bend over backwards to take. So, he doesn't have to follow your sign, your letter of intent plan, right? He's not the number 364 rated player in the country. He's the number one. So, you know what? JTT is going to show up wherever he wants to show up on June, whatever, and be part of somebody's summer program. And right now, I think if he had to pick, it would be Ohio State. But I think he wants to make sure it's the right choice for him, just like we saw with Emeka Agbuka, right? He had to visit all of his finalists before he made his choice. And when he finally got his visit in, despite the big you know push made in his final visit at Oklahoma, he knew where he wanted to go and it confirmed his choice. So I don't blame JTT for winning. I frankly think he's going to end up at Ohio State. Why wouldn't you want to play for Larry Johnson? Why wouldn't you want to follow these Washington kids that are coming to Ohio State? I mean, a- every part of it makes sense. And Oregon's going to push for him, and SC's going to push for him, and Bama will push for him. But I think as of right now, if he's ending up anywhere, it's going to be Ohio State, and let's face it, our West Coast guy out there is probably the closest one to his recruitment. He's been saying that all along. Is it Brandon Huffman
1: is the one out there covering him, Dave, right? Yes. Yeah, Brandon yeah. Huffman does a great job. Hey, and very well said about – um JT taking his time, JT Tui Molo Al taking his time. God bless him. I mean, my gosh, he hasn't even like visited the campus yet. We can make Terrell prior jokes as I just did, but uh, you know, take your time, young man. This is a huge decision. He hasn't, I guarantee if it wasn't for the pandemic, he would have made his choice by now because he would have been able to visit and do everything that he wanted to do. So take your time, young man. And uh, hopefully uh, for the Buckeyes sake, he will do the right thing in the end. All right, let's have a little fun
0: here, man. Uh, what, One other question for you. If he comes to Ohio Before State, do I have to get it, the pronunciation on his name right? Because I keep screwing it up, and I'm going to call him JTT in perpetuity. Is everybody good with that?
1: Everybody <laughs> calls him JTT. I think that's the safe way to go. I, yeah, thanks to Bill Kerlick. I know it's Tui Molo Al. Tui Molo Al. So there we that's go. That's like
0: DJ, DJ from Clemson. Like, uh, is it Ungalile? is how you're supposed to say his name, I think? Like, like I, I'm not playing around with pronouncing names wrong, right? My last name is Baxendale, but like <laughs> JTT is just so much easier to say. I'm just going to refer to him as JTT in perpetuity now.
1: Notice how I stayed quiet when you asked me about uh, DJU's pronunciation. I was like, "Yeah, man, yeah, um, yeah." I think you, I think you got it there. All right, let's have a little fun here. These are the real college football rankings for 2021. Vegas's rankings. So if you're trying to bet on college football in 2021, who's going to be the national champion, here you go. Here are your rankings. Number one, Alabama. And I'm going to give you the betting odds as well. Number one, Alabama, plus 275. So if you bet 100 and Alabama wins the national championship, you get $275. Number two, Clemson, plus 400. It's so four 4-1. One. Bet 100 on Clemson and win the title. They win it. You get 400. We'll go right down the list from there. Georgia plus 450, Ohio State number four plus 650. If you bet $100 on the Buckeyes to win the national championship, you will get $650. Number five, Oklahoma, eight to one. Then there is a huge jump backs. So you got the number one, number two, number three, number four, number five teams, as I said, Bama, Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, all eight to one or less to win the title. Number six. Do you have a guess?
0: I'm assuming it's Notre Dame because of all the gamblers that they're going to put dumb money on it.
1: Texas A&M. Really? And guess what the jump is? It is from plus 800 from eight to one for Oklahoma to plus 2,800 to Texas A&M from five to six. So from eight to one to 28 to one from five to six. So basically they're saying, okay, It's going to be four of these five teams that are going to make it. Then we'll go from there just for people. Then you can react to this number seven. Again, these are the Vegas quote unquote Vegas rankings. Number seven, LSU 30 to one tied for eighth Iowa state and Texas 33 to one 10th, Florida 40 to one tied for 11th, North Carolina and USC 45 to one 13th. Ohio State's the second opponent of the season, Oregon, fifty to one. Again, these are odds to win the national championship in college football in twenty twenty one. There's a few more here. Number fourteen, Miami, the Hurricanes, not the Red Hawk. That's right, my niece Jennifer. Uh, although my niece Jennifer at Miami University, they they could be in the running. You never know. Miami, sixty to one. Fifteenth, Notre Dame, sixty six to one. Finally, the Big Ten checks in again here. Penn State, sixteenth. 80 to one, and then tied for 17th, Michigan and Wisconsin, a hundred to one backs your thoughts.
0: Well, first of all, Notre Dame and Michigan are going to change significantly. Uh, I'm shocked they're that low just because those are the two schools that the Vegas uh, suckers bets have always been on. Like I used to go out to Vegas every summer in July uh, when I used to run my, my ticketing company, which isn't the thing, thanks to the pandemic right now. Um, but we would go out there, and we'd laugh every summer because Michigan would be 12-1, to 13-1. to 1. and It was because their massive fan base of people would all go out there, get drunk, and convince themselves that Michigan was actually going to win something. And it was like the safest money the casino ever made, and that says a lot because you're in a casino. Uh, now, of those odds, look, they, the top five make total sense outside of Georgia, which is hilarious. Georgia's just them saying, well, in case they win the SEC, they're going to be a one-and-four proposition to win the championship we all know Georgia's not winning a national championship. Like what was the last time Georgia had good quarterback play Matthew Stafford. And even then he was like Jeff George in college. Like he would try to throw the ball through people. So Georgia being on that list is hilarious to me. Georgia is like the ultimate program of like, well, we're going to get like a ton of talent and then we're going to do absolutely nothing with it. Right. Like good quarterback play at Georgia only exists when their quarterbacks leave and go elsewhere, like Justin Fields. So, uh, the other ones just don't surprise me. Like, that's the reality is, is that, you know, Clemson we know is going to be good. Bama is, like, they're the favorite until they don't win it. Like, let's, let's be blunt at this point. Like, Saban's won six national titles there, right? And then Oklahoma being in the list is, look, they're probably going to win the Big 12. They're probably going to be the four seed, like usual. And in the off chance they actually develop a defense, well, that's kind of Vegas hedging their bet, right? So the real kicker to this is it really – It really exemplifies when I talk about the hyper elites. Every Bucknuts column that I write on the bucket on Sundays, it always talks about the hyper elites, hyper elites. The hyper elites are the schools that are always there. They're the ones that are always in the top five in recruiting. They're the ones that are always in the playoffs, it seems like. And that's Ohio State. That's Alabama. That's Clemson. And if you look since the playoffs started, those are the ones who have won it. Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. That's because they get the most talent. They spend the most money on good coaching. And they're always in position to win a championship. And the gap with the playoff, like one of the criticisms of a playoff before it started that I dismissed but I kind of started to buy into a little bit is, is that it's going to narrow down to the haves and have-nots even more so that there's a ton of schools who make a ton of money but aren't successful on the field. And the only way that top programs really get knocked off is by scandal or retirements of elite coaches, right? Like when Saban retires, the SEC is going to become a shooting gallery of even more so than it already is of just mayhem and people popping up and down to win it every year, right? Uh, You know, if Dabo wasn't at Clemson, well, who knows what would happen to the ACC because it's not that great of a conference, right? But Ohio State is currently sitting on top of the Big Ten and squashing everybody else. And all these recruits we're talking about at these schools in particular, and to a lesser extent, even Oklahoma. Like, look, Caleb Williams is coming from Washington, D.C. to go to Oklahoma. Like, that's just an example of what we're seeing, right? These kids around the country as the world gets smaller and we're get more connected by social media and we're more involved with screen time than ever in the world of the pandemic, these kids are all clustering together to go to these top schools, right? Like these kids are recruiting each other as much as the coaches anymore. And you're going to continue to see this consolidation into a top couple programs of which it's become very clear as we get further into the playoff era that Ohio state is firmly ensconced as one of the three true hyper elites. And then I would tell you, Oklahoma is right behind those programs just because of their easier path to the playoff. And you're gonna, it's going to require a big seismic shift like USC getting their act together and making the Pac-12 a real uh, championship contender or Saban retiring at Alabama and somebody else like Georgia having an opportunity to win in the SEC. But right now you have three hyper elites and the other programs that are sort of on the cusp of catching them, which is Oklahoma and the designated we think they're going to be second in the SEC team, which in this case is Georgia. And then there's everybody else. And that's kind of what we're seeing across college football in terms of a big-picture point of view.
1: Great stuff from Matt Baxendale. You can catch his column every Sunday. It is the Bucket. Programming note, Bucknutters, we are going to interview Ryan Day at 9 a.m. this morning. The local media will interview head coach Ryan Day at 9 a.m. this morning. So check Bucknuts for full coverage of that. We will have a story. We will have video. We will have sidebars. So keep it locked to Bucknuts for coverage of Ryan Day's press conference again this morning at 9 (music) a.m. (laughs) We'll be right back. <laughs> back.